Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello, and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson. I am the managing partner, chief investment officer of the Bonson Group, and maybe you knew that, maybe you don't care. But I will say that this is going to be kind of a fun little uh, addition because we get to recap what has been one of the most intriguing months in the market in quite some time. The month of January is behind us here into 2018. And so I'm going to spend our time today just kind of going through some of the good, bad, and ugly. I'm not on any kind of script or anything. I just sort of want to talk off the cuff a bit about what's out there right now for investors, what uh, took place and recap, uh, you know, January, but then kind of explain sort of our perspective, what we're doing, make it somewhat actionable, and then encourage your questions. As a matter of fact, I'm going to dedicate an entire podcast to answering questions in two weeks. I'll talk more about that at the end. So let's let's just kind of quickly look over month of January. And, you know, the obvious part people want to look to is to the stock market. Um, it is not, to me, the biggest story, although it's certainly up there. You, you uh, ended up by the end of the month with a Dow that was up 5.7% and an S&P up 5.6% in the month of January. And that was with about... Uh, one and a half to almost two percent kind of sell-off at the very end of the month so you know you really were up well over seven percent for the first uh for the first 28 29 days of january ended up giving a little of that back but obviously that's the kind of uh a significant momentum that we came into 2018 with um it is a bigger story that january is up that much because of the fact that the S&P was already up 20% in calendar year 2017 and that November and December into the into the tax reform passage had had uh, already seen so much momentum it made the way that uh, 2018 began even bigger of a deal but you know if you go back to um, the beginning of 2016 okay so now we're talking about two full years the January of 2016 was kind of the polar opposite. You you had um, literally the worst January in the history of the market. At one point, it had been down, I want to say, oh, about 11%. It closed the month down uh, roughly about 8%. So you had a brutal January in 2016. And, and there was a lot of talk then as there is now about how January has so often been a barometer for the rest of the year when January, with a high magnitude of return, up or down, it often is indicative of what will end up playing out for the rest of the year. I do think that's superstitious. There's obviously, with this many years gone by, some historical data, but there isn't ever going to be out of whatever correlation one draws there, causation. Um, and so to the extent that a lot of years the market may do this or a lot of years may do that relative to where January goes, the notion that we could ever set a clock to the fact that it would repeat that same kind of pattern in the future is absurd and dangerous. And indeed, in 2016, on the flip of where we are now, the idea was, well, the market's never you know, had a good year when it had this kind of a bad year, a uh, bad month to start. 
And then, in fact, the S&P actually had a, a remarkable year. Uh, on the calendar year, it ended up being up, you know, 10% plus change. On the uh, post-January, meaning for the remaining 11 months, S&P was up, I think, something around 20%. So you had a significant uh, recovery despite the brutal start in 2016. 2018, we've had this big way to kind of kick off the year. And a lot of people are saying, look, the market's never been down when it had a January that was up 4% or more. And whether or not that's true, um, the reality is is that there, it, it had, doesn't tell us anything predictively. There's no, there's no legitimate forecasting around that statement. So, yes, markets are healthy. Yes, uh, January was, was big. Yes, there's historical data that a lot of times January will, will go real well. Excuse me, the rest of the year will go real well when January went well. But uh, none of that is guaranteed, and none of that enables us to kind of turn off the, the switch going into February now and throughout the rest of the year. Uh, there's plenty of reasons to anticipate and be prepared for a challenging market, not the least of which is that the downside volatility in 2017 was at an unprecedented low level. Only 12 trading days of any significant you know, volatility uh, day by day and a total drawdown for the whole year that never even hit 3%. So I think you are seeing kind of at the end of January now, going into these early days of February, as the 10-year bond yield has jumped up to, uh, you know, close to 3%, getting into the above 2.8% range, close January above 27 those don't exactly strike most of us as a high 10-year bond yield, but certainly much higher than they have been. And so I think that once you come off those crazy low interest rates, you invite a greater degree of volatility. Not in an unhealthy way, but in, in, I, I think it's to be expected. So um, let's kind of un unpack the way that this positive market went. Um, you know, when you break down the different sectors and, and so forth, uh, you had, uh, surprisingly for a lot of people, very big months out of the consumer sector. It's not one that I think a lot of people have been talking about. Uh, you had, you know, slightly above market returns in the financials and the healthcare sector. Energy had been doing real well. It gave some of that back near the end of the month but still, nevertheless, a positive uh, month indeed. Um, technology continuing its run. But you were actually negative in both telecom utilities, especially down over 3%, and the REIT real estate sector down nearly 2%. So I think what you see there is very interest rate sensitive areas on a more technical basis being sold off, people anticipating that uh, the so-called bond proxy space of the market would suffer just as the bond market suffers with rising interest rates. I have no doubt that is what kind of affected those stocks. I don't believe, though, that it affected them fundamentally. I think that there is just enough of that thinking to enable people to act on it. There are um, kind of pre-programmed asset allocations that, that call for that, but but I don't believe fundamentally 
that as the 10-year bond yield moves higher, it actually calls into question the value thesis of good-run telecom companies that can grow their dividend, let alone well-run real estate companies. Um, Companies that are somewhat fixed in their dividend yield, as the competing bond yield goes higher, they mathematically see a uh, degradation of the return premium comparatively or relatively. But uh, unlike most utilities, in theory, telecom companies and real estate companies, they should have the ability to raise the dividend as free cash flow grows and, and counteract that inflation or fear of inflation that is driving much of the market. So um, the, the really only negative areas were those kind of uh, yield, you know, bond proxy oriented st- sectors of the stock market. And uh, like I said, you had uh, pretty, pretty good returns in consumer, energy, uh, technology, healthcare. Um, now, the U.S. market, as we said, wa- was up about 56 to 5.8%, depending on the index. Emerging markets was up another over 8%, and that comes after a 36 37% return last calendar year. So the good times are rolling, not just in the United States. Uh, you had the EFI, uh, essentially kind of more of a European-heavy um, equity index, up 4.69%. Uh, you know, and, and so in both emerging markets case and Europe's case, a lot of that has to do with um, the currency, that the dollar was down 3.4%. Um, the euro was up 3.8%. And, and the pound, uh, sterling pound, was up 5.5%, uh, all, all relative to dollar, okay? So I think that the uh, currency is helping to drive some of the international returns, including then or being combined with their um, fundamentals as earnings continue to grow. And, and we kind of wait and see what will happen on the monetary front in Japan and in Europe, et cetera. Uh, Japan did have kind of an interesting um, month. They were only up 1.68%. They had been up a little more. We expect that, uh, that Japan is, is going to end up having a positive year. They were up about, you know, their earnings growth was up about 20% last year. Still a lot of uh, fear, trepidation in the Japanese markets where we're not going to go in and buy a full index there. We have a, a different approach around, you know, what we believe in at the Bonson Group being very dividend growth, cash flow generative uh, type investors. But all that to say, um, Japan was positive, not quite as positive as some of the other sectors of the market. Uh, volatility was an interesting story. It essentially was up over 20%, but that meant closing the VIX at $13.50. And so 20% off of that means it started, you know, at about $11 or what have you. So you didn't have, you didn't have a significant move of all the VIX um, is still substantially lower than its uh, long-term average. And it's not the type of thing we think consistent money can be made trying to speculate on, so we're not going to do it. Uh, it looks like most of our hedge funds were still waiting on results from some of all our alternatives, but most of them appear to have been up on the month, some you know, closer to flat, but uh, the, the alternative space doing what we hire it to do, kind of um, creating some non-correlation and absolute return, uh, regardless of how healthy the markets were. 
And, and so then I talked a bit about the bond market, okay? And, and the reality is, is that this is why I say stocks were not even the biggest story, because I, I think very clearly that there is and should be more um, being paid attention to the bond market than the stock market right now. Um, I, really, you are dealing with um, bond yields that have been very stubborn and that have confounded what people would have expected several times. And so I, I just would say that um, we don't want to place a big bet on, on duration. Uh, we don't want to place a bet that interest rates can't go higher, but nor do we want to take a short position and nor do we want to assume that they can't. We want to be content to function and control our risk and our vulnerability around the bond market with a, a keen understanding that there's arguments to be made for all, all sorts of things that could happen. But I really do believe that the 10-year bond yield uh, could go up to 3%. I think it could come back down to 2.6. I don't think it gets to three and a quarter. If it does, it becomes very, very viable up there, really viable. Um, and I don't think you're going to see it dip below 2.5 unless you just have a really stunning reversal of economic growth. But to the extent that whether it's inflationary or not, there is definitely vast optimism right now around the growth thesis of the economy. It should be no surprise to us that the bond yield has moved higher. And what it is is uh, an indication or a vote of confidence from the bond market that you have not had in a long time in the sustainability and continued movement of growth in the economy. Now, I would say that, I would say that the uh, likelihood of um, bond yields moving uh, much higher and, and investors continuing to allocate as they go higher is, is good. It, it, but I, I don't think that that reallocation is fundamentally dangerous to equities, okay? I think that you want to be prepared for both scenarios, one in which the um, bond market doesn't move much higher and therefore is probably indicative. Uh, it probably gives you some decent returns in the bond portfolio if yields don't move higher, but it also um, probably indicates that some of the economic growth you're, you're levered to in your equities or real estate or other aspects of your balance sheet very likely are not going to perform as well. So I think that right now we haven't had a lot of this. I think that you have the natural correlation, which is somewhat of an inverted correlation between bonds and stocks. That if the bond yields keep going higher and bond prices keep going lower, it's probably a good thing for equities, um, but it, not right away. It will just take a little bit of time for that to be priced in because you get a reallocation. And if people weren't reallocating, People that didn't want to have the 10-year when it was at 2.2%, now it's at 2.8% and they don't like it, you'd have to question what's going on. Um, there's a lot of very sophisticated buyers that buy in size on these types of treasury situations. And to have gotten uh, these kind of increases, I just think you have to expect that there's going to be buyers that come in. Uh, what else do we want to kind of chat about from January? I'm not going to spend much time on it because the story I find just so inane and, and exhausting, and yet it's relevant from a behavioral finance standpoint. Um, but Bitcoin is now down about 60% from its recent all-time high. It was down 48% in 
in the calendar month of January. So, you know, this uh, stable, non-manipulatable replacement to the evils of fiat money within a few weeks has lost people uh, well over 50% of their money. Um, I, I don't know, you know, does it reverse, go back higher? Does it go much further lower? I don't know. All I know is that I think eventually is going to be going quite low, meaning, uh, per, you know, down to practically nothing. And the reason it will do that is because I don't think it has any value. And things that don't have any value don't uh, store value. And so that's my answer. To the degree that someone says, no, you know what you're talking about, crypto and blockchain represent the future of exchange and will disintermediate government, Federal Reserve, etc. I could agree. I could disagree. Um, I could maybe not take it seriously. I could point out the reality of in um, those types of situations, a threat, an existential threat to the central bank, that they probably are powerful enough as the re regulatory body to put an end to Bitcoin altogether if they were to believe that could happen. So, um, you know, you can have a discussion on Bitcoin, Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, but th that has nothing to do with one's optimism about the price itself. And for us in the business of price discovery, which we think is at the heart of risk management, uh, the reality is you can't do price discovery on this because it has no internal rate of return. There's no earnings power. There's no yield it offers. Um, the entirety of the thesis, which I'm going to quit talking about now, is that someone else will buy it from you at a higher price that uh, has no other fundamental knowledge than you do. It's crazy, utterly crazy. And to watch it play out this way is just brutal. Um, so, anyways, to me, the uh, things I'd kind of like to focus on going forward. Um, look, you had oil up 7% for the month. You had the MLP sector move up 5%. Um, energy stocks across the board up into the threes or so. I think you're going to see compelling value out of a lot of these energy stocks that are trading at a discount historical valuation. I think that uh, the MLPs being up 5%, they were up a bit at the end of December, but really had a very difficult, let's call it down 10% year. By MLPs, I refer to the oil and gas pipeline companies that are um, traded as what we call master limited partnerships in our country uh, for tax reasons and things like that. I think you're going to see um, continued movement there as more projects are built, greater tax efficiency, and that the appetite for U.S. energy um, begins to really take hold years out. Then, then the demand uh, for these uh, liquid uh, fossil fuels that we get out of the ground with fracking here in the United States, um, but then we don't have adequate ways to ship them around. That's where the MLP sector comes in, and we're buying it, and we believe in it. Okay. Um, well, gosh, I really don't want to bore you to death with additional data for the sake of it. I covered the market. We covered oil and, and, and Bitcoin and thing, things like that. You know, what are we doing now after a month like this? Well, if we can get the sell-off to go a little worse, I mean, I, you know, the idea of reacting to 2% is not in my DNA. It's not going to happen, okay? But if we can get a 7%, you know, market correction, something we're long overdue for, I could definitely see us increasing allocations. I could see us putting cash and dry powder to work. Um, I don't believe that that's necessarily going to happen, 
but it, it could happen. And I think that uh, it would become a really viable opportunity across risk assets if it were to. I'm still very much in the position that the tax reform is being underpriced in the market, not overpriced. And I think a lot of other people and forces are starting to see it the same way. Um, I can't get into individual stocks on this podcast, but if you want to reach out by email and you're just wondering about any particular holding we have and why, let me know. Um, I am not worried about interest rates rising and the effect they have on the uh, NAV of certain um, you know, bond strategies. For us, we are very committed uh, you know, to, um, how do I say this? Well, let me, let me back up. I think that flows tell you a lot. And you had an unbelievable amount of money that flew into bond funds for years and years, treating it as a proxy for a money market. And I think that uh, you're going to see a lot of money flow out. And just as we did not want to pile into uh, bond funds and an unhealthy allocation, um, I believe that uh, you're going to end up in a situation where you could have a lot of money coming out of bond funds if yields get high enough and they could become really attractive. And we're not there yet, and there's other economic factors we have to kind of consider, but that's the scenario we're looking out for. And, and January has helped to kind of create that possibility, but I don't want to overstate it. You're talking about most kind of bond strategies being down 1% to 2% this, this year. It's not, not dramatic. All right. Um, that's kind of the, the scoop. So like I said, I want to do a Q&A podcast, not next week, but the week after. So anytime between now and let's call it January, you know, uh, I don't know, 10th, 11th, send over questions to Bonson Group, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, Bonson Group at HightowerAdvisors.com. Anything you want us to cover on the podcast, I'm going to do a little Q&A with one of my communications team guys. He's going to ask me the questions. I'm going to answer. We're going to go back and forth. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but please send us that kind of uh, raw material, the things on your mind, the questions that will serve as the foundation for our talk. Other than that, uh, thank you for listening to Advice and Insights. We're watching the dollar still declining in 2018. We're watching bond yields still increasing in 2018. And we're watching dividend growth stocks. Who is raising their dividend in the backs of increased free cash flow in 2018? Those are the companies we want to be buying. Thanks for listening to David Bonson, Advice and Insights. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. 
The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.